Well, good morning. Would you, would you join me in, in prayer as we start our time together in the Word? Lord, we bless you for this day. We bless you for this brand new year. We are reminded by the words of that powerful old song of the church that great is your faithfulness. We're so often reminded of how unfaithful we can be, people can be. But we bless you this day, this first Sunday of a brand new year, that great is your faithfulness, O Lord, unto us. We receive you, Lord. We receive your promises. We receive the work of your Spirit in our hearts this morning. We pray that by the power of your Spirit, you would be our teacher. You would be our instructor. That where we've had a hard time seeing and understanding and connecting some important dots, we ask you, Lord, to open our eyes, to grant to us your Spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the true knowledge of you. Thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you for this morning where we're able to open your word together. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I want you to take your copy of the scripture out, if you would, and find the, the gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 6 and verse 38. I am just quickened. I can't, I can't go on without saying this. We need to pray for our country, the church of the living God, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to pray for our country. We need to pray for our president. We need to pray for our leadership. We need to pray for judges and elected officials that God would have his way in our nation in these coming days as he has been in the past. He is, he is faithful today. Our eyes are on him. Amen. Just needed to get that in. And wherever you may be, what part of the country or even around the world you may be listening, a part of the Alamo City streaming family this morning, may we join our hearts in praying that that the kingdom of God would come to the hearts of people in the United States of America, come to our leadership, and we pray that by his spirit it will all be done. Amen. All right, let's go back to Luke chapter 6 and verse 38. Here, here is how these words of Jesus are recorded for us. Give, he said. So, plant, give. And it will be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. They will pour out into your lap. For by your standard of measure, for by your standard of sowing, by your standard of planting, it will be measured to you in return. This morning, as we start this new year, this statement, the harvest you want comes from the seeds you sow. The harvest you want comes 
from the seeds you sow. Now, would you say that back to me? I wanna, I'm, I'm, I'm wanting and praying this will go, this will do that 18-inch drop. It, it's not just information. It's not just a statement. But it is a declaration of one of the principles in the spirit realm. One of the kingdom principles. One of the, one of the precepts. One of the statutes that God from his heart follows and honors. Here it is again. The harvest you want comes from the seeds you sow. This is not a complicated thing. This is not a purely mystical thing. There is a cause and there is an effect. And the scripture will be very clear at this point. God is not mocked, Galatians 6. God is not mocked. Whatever a man, whatever a woman, whatever a person sows, that and that in particular and that only is what they're going to reap. So for goodness sake, doesn't it make sense that we give attention to, we make a priority out of making sure we are sowing good seed, so that in time the harvest that we desire will come back in. Now this matter of a, of a harvest and the sowing and the harvest is not a drive through Taco Cabana, place your order, or Chick-fil-A, or Whataburger, that it's just an instant return. There's time involved here. We're not talking about something that is just a a snap situation, just a, just a quick uh, turnaround. This is about a lifestyle, folks. This is about something that you wake up in the morning concentrating on and thinking about, and you're aware of it in a sense throughout the day, and one day becomes a week, and a week becomes a month, and the month can turn into years, and it's still the place of wanting to be sure as best we know it, we are sowing the kinds of seeds that are going to result in the harvest that we want to get back. We're not going to get something different than what we have sown. That's, that's the principle here. But the good news is, if it's good seed, it will come back. It will come back later, but it will come back multiplied more than what you stuck in the ground. The law of the harvest the law of the harvest. The apostle Paul speaks to it in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 6. Now this I say, Paul writes, he who sows sparingly shall also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully shall also reap bountifully. Let each one do just as he's purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. That, the, the literal order of that, the ordering of that, as Paul wrote it, God loves a giver. God loves a sower. God loves a planter. And he loves a sower, a giver, who is cheerful in the giving. 
But it's not supposed to be something that we hate. It's something that we enjoy. Why do we enjoy it? Because we've got our eyes on the harvest that's coming back in. Amen. And then he goes on to say, And God is able to make all grace, all enablement, all supply abound to you, that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. In other words, he's saying that the Lord has the ability to give you back what you put in the ground, what you sow. And it won't just be a little bit. It will be enough back to you so that you'll have the sufficiency. You'll have enough to keep sowing, to keep planting. He speaks of the lifestyle of the heart of a follower of Jesus. When Jesus walked this earth, he was continuously sowing into the lives of people. He was sowing his merciful touch. He was sowing the, the, the words of truth. He was sowing the, the declarations of, of the defeat of the enemy and the coming of the kingdom of God to even raise the dead, to heal the sick, to walk on water as need be. God loves a sower. God loves a sower. The ones who sow a little are just going to get back a little, but the ones who sow bountifully are going to receive a bountiful harvest. Now, how can that be so? How can that be true? We hear the principle. We, 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 hear, we hear the law, uh, the, the, the rule, the statute, that, that statement of the heart of God, but how can it be true? Well, it can be true because the one who gives that instruction, who makes that declaration, is the one who is able to do the following things. Number one, in Revelation chapter 3, the exalted Jesus says to the church in Philadelphia, I hold the key of David. I open and nobody closes. I close and nobody opens. I know your deeds, he says. I see your sowing. I see your planting. I know your deeds. And I've set before you an open door because you have a little power and you've kept my word and you've not denied my name. Therefore, I have set before you an open door. In Deuteronomy chapter 28, we find that wonderful listing of the heart of God to bless his people. And early on in that chapter, he says that if you follow me, if you keep my directives, if you do what honors me, you continue to sow in a way that pleases me. These blessings will come upon you and will overtake you. He goes on to say that I will command the blessing to come upon you in your barns, in your fields, in your houses, in everything that you're, you put your hands to. So the one who has the ability to open doors makes this promise so that no one can shut. The one who has the authority to command the blessing says and makes this promise for the harvest. And then in 2 Chronicles 16, 9, as we've often referenced the eyes of the Lord roam to and fro throughout the whole inhabited earth that he may show himself strong in behalf of the one whose heart is completely his. Why is it going to be so? 
that the harvest that we desire is going to come from the seeds that we plant. It is because the one who opens doors and the one who commands blessings and the one who finds the faithful is the one who's going to see to it that it happens. Amen. We're not talking about a natural law. We're not talking about just a physical law. We're talking about a spiritual law that has implication and impact on the natural and the physical around us. With that in mind, I want to mention to you this morning and encourage you to think along with me and pray that the Spirit will be our teacher. Three ways of sowing, three places of planting, where, oh, for goodness sake, we would desire that we would sow the best seed in order for the harvest that we desire to come. The first, the first place of sowing is this, sowing at work, sowing at work. Sowing the kinds of seed at work so that the harvest that we desire would be coming in. I want to just reference, we won't take time to go into much detail, but I want to reference again the life of the young man named Joseph in Genesis chapter 39 and following. You remember the story of Joseph. He was betrayed by his brothers, sold into slavery, ends up in Egypt, He's bought by Potiphar, a powerful uh, one of the king of Egypt, Pharaoh's uh, leading men. He ends up as a piece of property. He had been the the, the, the fair-haired boy, the, the, the father, his, his earthly father's favored son. But now he's, because of circumstances that were beyond his control, he ends up in a place uh, owned, um, given directions, not freedom. But I want you to notice some things just very quickly. I want to summarize this. I want to try to read all the verses. But the kind of sowing that Joseph gave himself to in the place where he was working, it was not a favorable environment. It was not an easy place. He wasn't known. But there was something about his life, there was something about what he did and how he conducted himself that caused the men, and in this case Potiphar, and then later on the jailer, and then eventually Pharaoh himself. They saw something in this young man that caused them to be drawn to him. What was it? The first thing had to be Joseph had a respect for authority. I want to just say to you, there may be some, some young folks listening to me this morning, and you never really had any of this kind of instruction growing up. You, you never have a dad to sit down and say to you, you need to learn how to say yes, sir. You need to learn how to say no, ma'am, or yes, ma'am. You need to learn to respect the ones who are in authority over you. If it's your teacher, if it's your coach, if it is your boss, if you want authority to bless you, then you need to learn how to honor and respect authority. Look at this with, and Joseph could have had other reasons as to why he wasn't going to respect authority. He could have been complaining. He could have, he could have opted for another route. But there was something in Joseph 
that caused him to understand if I am honoring the ones in authority over me, it is as if I am honoring the Lord. Paul would write in Ephesians chapter 5 that don't consider yourselves as just earthly servants, or in that sense, earthly slaves. You understand that you are a servant of Christ. And so that how you do what you do in your place of business is a result of you're loving the Lord, you're honoring Christ. Don't see your job as something separate from your spiritual walk with Jesus. Understand that he is blessed by you as you honor him in honoring your boss. Now, the assumption there, of course, is if the boss is not instructing something immoral, illegal, but it was in this case, this was in a pagan country, a pagan setting. But look at, look at the things that are said about Joseph. This was verse 2, Genesis 39, 2. And the Lord was with Joseph, so he became a successful man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. Now his master saw that the Lord was with him and how the Lord caused all that he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in, the, in his sight and became his personal servant. And he made him his overseer over his house. And all that he owned, he put in his charge. And it came about that from the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he owned, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house on account of Joseph, that the Lord's blessing was upon all that he owned in the house and in the field. So he left everything he owned in Joseph's charge. And with him, there he did not concern himself with anything except the food which he ate. Joseph, because he was sowing the seeds of respect for authority, and because he was sowing the seeds of responsibility, that in turn came back to him with the one in authority over him giving him authority. The one who had responsibility over him, giving to him responsibility. The principle here is, folks, the Lord places us where he places us. And while he has us there, there are things that he loves to see working in our hearts. And it is that we understand authority. We are willing to come in under authority, not go eye to eye, toe to toe with authority, but to understand the importance of coming in on our authority and to understand the importance of carrying ourselves with integrity, carrying ourselves with a sense that would make us worthy of responsibility. Why would this man turn everything over to Joseph in his household except for the food that he ate? It was because Potiphar somehow trusted Joseph. Folks, it is a blessing to the Lord. It honors him. When you live and work in such a way where you are employed, that folks have a sense of confidence in you and trust you, and as a result are willing to turn things over to you. It, it, it went south not long after that, the Potiphar's wife, you remember that story, came after him. He rejected her advances. She lied about what he 
had done in, in affronting her. The husband believed the wife. He had power. They had, this, had his slave thrown in jail. But, but then, you, then you look at this amazing section in, in uh, the, the latter part of 39, chapter 39. But the Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him and gave him favor in the sight of the chief jailer. And the chief jailer committed to Joseph's charge all the prisoners who were in the jail so that whatever was done there, he would be responsible for it. Folks, you sow the seeds of responsibility and people in authority over you will recognize that. San Antonio, San Antonio has one of the most amazing consistencies of corporations, major corporations that, that um, have this in, incredible ability to have eyes and ears, it seemed like, through, throughout their, their corporate structure, where they, they notice people, they, they make private notes of individuals, evidently, who are proving themselves in lower level places, in quieter places, more hidden places, they are seeing them prove themselves responsible, prove themselves with integrity. And I don't know how many stories over the years I've heard of individuals, men and women, who started out way down here on the low level, like Joseph. But as time went on, because they kept proving themselves faithful and responsible and having integrity and part of the solution instead of the problem, they honored authority, how they just were gradually, gradually, regularly moved up to positions of authority. Folks in authority will share their authority with ones who respect authority. Can I say that again? Folks who have authority will share their authority with those who respect authority. There's no way around that. How important it is to not come into a place of work with this sense of entitlement. Well, I've got a degree, and I'm a Phi Beta Kappa, and I've got this ability, and I know these things. As if all of a sudden, everybody's just supposed to bow and scrape and say, well, you're just such a hot rock, we'll just let you tell us what to do. you got to earn it, you know? You're not the smartest, fastest gun in the gunfight. I, I don't know wh who I'm talking to here, but, but I just feel like this needs to be said. That Joseph earned somehow the right to be respected. He earned somehow the right to be given responsibility because he respected authority. Let that be you. You, you know, and again, again, go back to Revelation 3. Jesus is saying, I hold the keys of David. I hold the keys of earthly responsibility and opportunity. I open a door and no man can close it. I close a door for protection. I open it for blessing. I close it for protection. And if I close it, nobody can open it. And then he says, I know your deeds. I'm watching you. It, it means practical things. It means, it means small things, larger things, earthly things. I know your deeds. And here's what I know about you. You have little power, but you have kept my word and you've not denied my name. You have not lived in such a way to be an embarrassment to my name. You have honored my name by the way that you live. I've seen it. I've watched it. And watch this. I open for you a door which no man can close. Let that in. Child of God, let that in. Let that in. The harvest we want 
is a result of the seeds that we sow. There's another place, and just I would summarize it quickly, in, in um, the life of Joseph. He's in jail. All of a sudden, the Pharaoh's, two, of, two of Pharaoh's closest advisors, companions, show up in the, in the same jailhouse that Joseph is in. And, and Joseph is there, having been given responsibility for all of the prisoners in the, in, in the house, in the jailhouse. But it says there's, there's an interesting statement. This is in Genesis chapter 40. That was the cupbearer and the baker of, of Pharaoh. Uh, they were trusted. They, if, if the the, the cupbearer, they, they were always concerned about someone trying to poison the emperor or the king in those days. So whoever these were closest to him having to deal with the food had to be very trusted. They did something to just really make Pharaoh angry, and you know, send, he sends them to, to, to prison. Verse 4, chapter 40, verse 4. And the captain of the bodyguard put Joseph in charge of them. And it says, and Joseph took care of them. And they were in confinement for some time. Then the cupbearer and the baker for the king of Egypt, who were confined in jail, both had a dream the same night. Each man with his own dream and with its, with its own interpretation. Now look at verse 6. That we're talking about sowing seeds at work. Sowing at work. Joseph is fixing to sow some serious seed here. When Joseph came to them, in verse 6, in the morning, and observed them, behold, they were dejected. And he asked Pharaoh's officials, who were with him in confinement in his master's house, why are your faces so sad today? Then they said to him, we've had a dream, and there is no one to interpret it. Then Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell it to me, please. What was it that Joseph was sowing here? It's that, it's that same thing that Solomon told his son in Proverbs chapter 3. You bind two things around your neck. You don't ever let these two things be lost from you. What are they? Kindness and loyalty. Kindness and loyalty. In order for you to be well-pleasing to both men and to God. Joseph here was sowing the seed of kindness. He was sowing the seed of compassion. How would he have even known to look at their faces if he had just been so busy with all of his details? But there was something about Joseph that cared about people. He noticed that their faces were sad, it says. Why are you sad? Well, to notice somebody with a sad face, it means you got to notice them, number one, and then you got to have a heart for them, number two. Can I just say, folks, wherever you're working, who, 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 whoever you're working for, God has put you in that place for his purpose. And one of his purposes may very well be that you become the eyes of the Lord Jesus in that place. You become the hands of kindness and mercy of the Lord Jesus in that place. In this case, in this instance, it wasn't just about Joseph. 
Joseph was concerned about the ones that were in the jailhouse that he was responsible for. It says that he cared for them. And then it's obvious that he had compassion for them. Folks, if it is the Lord who ultimately opens a door for you professionally, materially, in whatever way, if it is ultimately the Lord who has the ability to open the door, if it is the Lord who has the ability to command the blessing upon you, if it is the Lord who, whose eyes roam to and fro throughout the whole in heaven and earth, and he sees that your heart is completely his, if those things are all true, then it must also be true that when he sees us sowing seeds, acting in a way that honor him, that please him, that, that are similar to his heart, expressions of his heart, then we have every reason to believe that God was behind the expression of compassion, that God was behind what was moving in Joseph's heart. And as a result of that, compassion would be expressed in a greater way than Joseph could ever have imagined. We don't know how many months or even short years it was from that time of the of the, of the cupbearer and the baker being in, in, in jail. And then one of them reminds, the, the cupbaker is reminded he's released and he goes back and he continues to serve. And then he hears about Pharaoh's dream and he says, oh, oh, I remember a, a young man, a, a Hebrew youth in, in prison who had the ability to interpret dreams. And Pharaoh, because he couldn't get any help from any of, any of his other magicians and wise men, he said, go get him and bring him in. And that's how Joseph ended up. He interpreted Pharaoh's dream. Pharaoh said, there's nobody so wise as you, Joseph, to, be, to implement what you've seen in this dream. So I'm making you number two to me only. There will be no one as high as you in the land other than I myself. You will rule over Egypt because I've given you permission second only to me. The compassion of the Lord, folks. God is the one who has the ability to open doors nobody can shut. And he has the heart in his timing to honor the sowing of compassion, to honor the sowing of respect, to honor the sowing of responsibility. Can I get a witness? Can somebody just say amen? Again, this isn't something that happened, you know, with, with one, with one two-minute drive-through at Taco Cabana. This was a lifestyle that marked Joseph. Let it be a part of a lifestyle that marks you. The harvest, the harvest we want flows out of the seeds that we plant. At work, at work, at work, at work. Secondly, secondly, sowing in relationships. Sowing good seed in relationships. Sowing the kind of seed into relationships such that the harvest that we desire in those relationships will come to pass. Will you leave the Old Testament and go with me to Luke chapter 5? I want you to notice... I want you to notice two things, two characters 
in the life of Jesus in the New Testament. And when I say characters, they're characters. If, if you, as we said this before, we're talking about two tax gatherers, okay? Well, you hear this clearly. In order to get at the heart of who these men were and who the ones around them were, you come up with on your own, in your own mind, the lifestyle that is the most despicable morally to you today, right now. And secondly, the profession that is the most despicable to you. Lifestyle, profession, that to you is the most despicable. Come up with that name, and everywhere you see the word tax gatherer, you insert your name for the most despicable lifestyle and person. You put, you put that in the place of tax gatherer. Now, with that being said, with that being said, let's read this story. This is Matthew, Levi was his name. Verse 27, and after that he went out, Jesus went out and noticed a tax gatherer named Levi sitting in the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. And he left everything he had and rose and began to follow him. And Levi gave a big reception for him in his house, Levi's house. And there was a great crowd of tax gatherers and other people who were reclining at the table with him, having dinner together that evening. To go for an evening meal in those days did not just mean 45 minutes or an hour. It would start as the sun was going down and it would continue for multiple hours after that. This was the spending of an entire evening, evening in Levi's house with Levi's friends. And the Pharisees, verse 30, the Pharisees and their scribes began grumbling at his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with the tax gatherers and sinners. When they would say eat and drink, it wasn't just a quick little, you know, drink a Diet Coke together and, and, and have a, you know, have a burger and then be gone. What just really ripped these guys was that Jesus was going to spend an entire evening with them with, with no protocol pamphlet passed out in advance. He was just going to be with them. Verse 31, and Jesus answered and said to them, it is not those who are well who need a physician, but those who are sick. I've not come called to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. You skip all the way over to Luke chapter 19 and you hear here's a similar situation. I'll just summarize it. Jesus is on his way into, into Jericho. Zacchaeus, who's, who is called a, 
tax gatherer, chief tax gatherer, who was very rich. Short man, little guy, ran out in front of Jesus. You remember the story, climbed up in the tree in order to be able to see Jesus. And Jesus walks up and stops right under the tree that Zacchaeus has climbed up into, and he says this, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for today I must stay at your house. Then he goes on to say, today salvation has come to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Luke will record in chapter 15, as Jesus tells the story of the lost coin and the lost sheep and the lost boy, Luke records that in that setting where they were, it looked to him like all the tax gatherers and sinners had gathered, along with the Pharisees and the scribes and that crew. It was a divided house, but there was this massive group of professional reprobates, ones who were known for their godlessness, in a sense. And here comes Jesus. Can I ask you a couple of questions? Why did they want to listen to Jesus? Because Jesus listened to them. We have no record. We have no record in either Luke 5 or Luke 19 in these encounters in, in, a, in a tax gatherer's house that Jesus spent the whole time teaching through the book of Deuteronomy or Leviticus or going back over the prophets and saying to these, these sinners how much they had sinned. We don't have one syllable that Jesus said. But what we do know is he was there and he was listening and he was not offended. So much so that he would have to, have to be concerned about his piety. Therefore, he couldn't be in the tax gatherer's house. Jesus just loved them. Folks, what if, what if in the relationship with one, it just seems maybe a family member, maybe a friend, maybe, maybe someone, but you care about them. But it seems as if they're just not listening to you. What if it's because you've never listened to you say, they don't respect me. They don't respect me. What if it is because you don't respect them? You say, I can't respect them. Then how in the world did Jesus do what Jesus did? Some way or another. That was what just peeved the Pharisees. He's showing respect to this tax gatherer by going to the tax gatherer's house. They would say, any man of God would know what a hell hole that is. 
And he would stay completely away from it, to which Jesus walked right into. That they, for Luke to say, there were so many of them coming, it seemed like everybody was coming. Why? Because they wanted to be with him. Where do you think they got that? Because Jesus wanted to be with them. Jesus sowed respect and he got respect back. Jesus sowed compassion, mercy, forgiveness toward them. And that's what he got back. None of them had repented. None of them had yet been baptized. None of them had yet made restitution for the wrongs that they had done to people. But none of those things in place were big enough to keep the heart of Jesus from going into their house with big ears and maybe a small mouth. He earned from them the ability to be heard because he heard them. He earned from them their respect because he respected them. I can hear somebody saying, you don't know who, you, you don't, I, I don't believe that preacher. I don't know that that could be true. Okay, then take your person, your person, and you make them the chief character. You, you change their name out for Levi. You change their name out for Zacchaeus. Folks, the problem can be more with the seed sowing than the harvest. The harvest is a result. The seed is a choice. The harvest is a result. The seed is a choice. So I would just say to you, I would just say, those that we somehow feel like that the only, my only purpose in their life is to lecture them. But they don't listen to me, you would say. I've tried, but they don't listen. Jesus didn't start out lecturing the tax gatherers and sinners. Started out listening to them. And as they heard or watched this holy man listening and the kindness that would be expressed, they knew what the social stigma was with regard to them. They understood the risk that Jesus was, was undertaking to even be seen with them, let alone spend an evening with them. But he came anyway. Still he went. I came to seek and to save that which was lost. Folks, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. The harvest coming in may not be the problem. The issue may be the refusal and somehow being justified that I'm not, supposed to, I'm not supposed to sow kindness. I'm not supposed to sow mercy. I'm not supposed to sow respect. Justify that in the light of Jesus Christ and his action. Okay? Relationships. Relationships. There is a, 
There's a, a fascinating verse in Proverbs, Proverbs 18, 16. A man's gifts make room for him and brings him before great men. A man's gift makes room for him and brings him before great men. How does that apply in this setting? What if the gift that Jesus brought was his presence? His presence in Zacchaeus' house. And as a result of that gift of his presence and that gift of a listening ear and that, and that gift of mercy extended and that gift of respect, it opened the door for Jesus to be in the presence of great men, albeit wicked, godless men. Folks, you, you may have a gift that's not about finances or writing a check or slipping a $100 bill under the doormat. Far greater than that could be your desire to just be with them and not to say a blooming word, but to listen. You would say, well, didn't Jesus pass out this purity protocol brochure before he walked into their house? Find it in the scripture. I don't see it. These were professional, godless people. They were lost, and they couldn't find their way out. But God sent his son, just like he can send you and me. Where do we get permission to be so offended that we can just look another way instead of it being, Lord, Show me how to sow a seed into their lives such that those that I care about, I may be offended at. We, we, we don't agree on everything theologically, politically, go on and on and on. But Lord, you created them. You love them. You died on the cross for them. Show me how to sow a seed that will result in them being drawn. If they won't listen to you, is it because you have never listened to them? If they don't respect you, could it very well be that they sense you have never respected them? What if, what if God's heart by this declaration of his truth in his heart today, what if there's going to be something shifted in 2021? Where well, you're going to find yourself not trying to figure out what scripture you can speak to them, what book you can send to them, what logical reason to straighten them out. But what if the Lord's just giving you permission to just flat out love them like they are? where they are, and to be a blessing to them. Paul writes a summary statement in the early part of Romans that is an exposition of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the goodness and kindness of God that leads a man to repentance. Can somebody say amen? 
Amen. Amen. The sense that we have permission to love people, to extend grace to people, to not feel like it's a wasted evening if four hours go by and we hadn't done anything but eat and listen and enjoy each other's company, that there would be coming out of that in God's timing. But they'd show up. It's time for Jesus to tell the story about the lost coin and the lost sheep and the lost boy. They came to listen because he had listened. They came out of respect for him because he had respected them. Lord, I pray that wherever this needs to go, you'll just take it now. You'll just take it into our hearts right now. Whoever needs to hear this, that they'll know that it is your voice to their hearts. Freedom and the release of compassion. Instead of bearing a false weight of responsibility, I've got to change them. I've got to fix them. I've got to make them different. I've got to straighten them out. Folks, if God doesn't do the convicting, it's never going to happen by us doing it. That's why the Spirit has been, He will convict the world of sin and righteousness. It is a false guilt trip. The enemy tries to put upon parents sometimes and, and friends and family members of someone who's a million miles away from God and hadn't even begun. That it's all on you to change them. It's all on you to teach them. That is directly contradictory to the teaching of Jesus. That's why the Holy Spirit, he would say, needed to come. He, when he comes, will convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. Amen. You talk about a load getting lifted off, there's one right there. That it's the Lord's business to do. Okay. Sowing at work. Sowing in relationships. Sowing in marriage. Sowing in marriage. I don't want a show of hands. Shirley's sitting right here. I'm asking her not to raise her hand. But, but if I would ask you, your marriage, a well-watered garden, there may be a weed or two here or there, but it's, it's growing. Or is your marriage a same old, same old, boring, flat? Or is your marriage shriveling? Or is your marriage barren? Now, I know there are a good many folks not married who may be listening to this. Will you please hear this, not as a rebuke, not as a, you're not complete unless you're married. Just keep in mind, Jesus never married, and I think he was pretty complete, right? But will you hear this in the light of one day you may be thinking about marriage? And let this be a help to inform some of that. Here in, at, at the last of Ephesians chapter 5, after Paul has gone through somewhat of a lengthy discourse on how husbands are to behave and wives are to behave, similar to 1 Peter 3, but the summary statement is this, nevertheless, that each individual among you also love his own wife even as himself and let the wife see to it that she respect her husband. 
for the last several years, anytime a couple wants me to participate in their wedding ceremony, I have, a, I have one required book for them to read. The scripture is a given. We'll spend time working through the Ephesians 5 section, the 1 Peter 3 section, and other places relevant to the marriage relationship. But there is another book beside the Bible, and only one that I categorically require that they each get a copy of. I don't want them reading out of the same book. She may need to put some notes and some dates and some whatevers, and he may need that. And I hear guys say, well, I'm not a book reader. You're going to be a book reader if I'm going to marry you. Done deal or not. And here's the book. The Five Love Languages by Gary Chapman. It's not scripture. But it is absolutely loaded with powerful marriage truth. The principle is this. Not everybody speaks the same love language. Meaning... Not everybody hears and feels, I love you, in the same way. He suggests there are five different dialects or languages of love between a couple. Here they are. The first one, words of affirmation. You are the best looking thing I've seen all day. You're smart. That was good. Words of affirmation, meaning that you may try, your love language may be gifts, and you think by giving to her a giant bouquet of flowers or six boxes of Russell Stover candy, that that's going to be, the, that's going to do, because that's how you would hear it. Your language is gifts, but her language would be words of affirmation. You're beautiful. I love you. Because it's not your love language, you're not, you're not, it's not a big deal to you what is said. It's more a big deal to you what is given to you or other things. Words of affirmation. Quality time. Just time spent together. Gifts. Thought about you when I saw this, and I wanted you to have it. Not necessarily about how big it is, how expensive it is, but it was an expression from your heart that in the middle of your day, you thought of her or thought of him, and you got it, bought it, gave it to her. It wasn't birthday necessarily, wasn't, wasn't anniversary. It, it, was just, it was just something in your heart to do. Now, now you may not have that language of gifts. But if you're married to somebody who does and she never gets anything like that from you or he never receives anything like that from you, folks, I can't tell you how common it is in my office down the hallway here on the couch as a couple would be there trying to find their marriage, trying to get their footing, trying to get started again, and she 
many times it's the wife who will say, I don't want to keep doing this because I don't feel like he loves me. To which the husband can say, but I have bought you a new car every other year. I have given you these clothes. We've gone on these trips. But to her, to her, the one way that she hears I love you the clearest, her husband never speaks it to her. Why? More than likely because the husband doesn't speak her language. It can be as strange as somebody in South Texas having to learn German or French or Portuguese. I don't understand it. I don't get it. Well, my dear friend, you better learn how to speak. And it's not something that's impossible. Here's the way you find your love language. Or you hear about it from each other. If you ask her, as a husband, when do you feel the most loved by me? And then from the wife to the husband, when do you feel the most loved? Or to make it more scriptural, when do you feel the most respected by me? Folks, this doesn't need to be said, but I'm going to go ahead and say it. It does not matter how much you feel like you love the person. If the person who's supposed to be loved doesn't feel it, doesn't sense it, isn't animated by it, it's as if it doesn't exist. Do you hear me? You say, oh, pastor, that can't be true. There are too many couples coming in to talk about where it, it, they're just not speaking the same language. That there can be a commitment to each other, a devotion to each other, but something is the causing there to be a gap in the heart. And folks, I'm just telling you, it's serious. This is a serious thing in a marriage. If you think the only thing that is, that is securing your marriage is a wedding band and a promise, think again. If you think your marriage is safe, it's beyond attack, it's beyond dissolution because somebody made a vow and you got a ring on your finger, think again. It's not an excuse to, to, to someone, someone out there, the husband or the wife isn't speaking the love language, but somebody at work does. Somebody somewhere, casual kind of thing. And, and there's, there is a connection between the one who isn't hearing I love with the one who somehow knows how to say I love you in a way that this one hears it. I try to say to couples, for goodness sake, protect your marriage. Protect your marriage. Christian couple, protect your marriage. Learn, learn what it really means for her to feel loved. Let her know when you feel the most respected, the most loved. And then, folks, listen, if you get that, she's speaking Chinese and you're speaking South Texas, you got to have her help you Learn how to speak that language, and you're going to have to help her. The assumption is, oh, we all understand what it means to be loved. No, we don't. No, we don't. But the Spirit of Jesus 
inside you. And the spirit of Jesus inside your spouse. When there is a desire to sow good seeds so that there can be a good harvest coming back, the spirit of the Lord is able to bless it. He's able to command the blessing. He's able to open the door. He's able to show himself strong in behalf of the one whose heart is completely his. The other of these gifts, acts of service, physical touch, words of affirmation, quality time, gifts, acts of service, just doing something that you know means something to him or to her. It, it, it's not like it's a wage. It's a gift. You know, and I, I surely needs to have equal time to this, but I, I can just tell you, if, we, if this book, if this book, these five love languages, if we'd gotten a hold of it 44 years ago and I had read the book, it would have made life so much easier on her because we're different. My, my words, my... my, my um, my love language would be words of affirmation, physical touch. I, I said this earlier, and it's really the truth. You know, you folks can go. That was a great message, Pastor. Just You just knocked it over the fence this morning. It was just the most amazing thing, so anointed. But if I walk outside, and she rarely ever does this, but sometimes she will when she's just quiet, and I ask her, okay, so how'd it go? And she looks back, and she says, I felt like, one of the children of Israel walking in the desert for 40 years. That's how muddy it was, David. That's how unclear it was. That's how unhelpful. Well, I can tell you, because words of affirmation from that little lady mean a ton to me, I'm going to work on it. I'm going to do my best next time we won't be wandering, lapping Mount Sinai in the desert. But if, on the other hand, she says, that blessed me, that spoke to my heart, I felt like the Lord was speaking through you. When she says that, there can be 65 of you lined up to tell me what a bomb I laid on Sunday morning, and it won't matter. It won't matter. Because the words of affirmation coming from the one that is the single most valuable human on the face of the earth to me, far surpasses anything that can be said. I know about her, and we had to learn this. We had to have honest discussions. And, 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 and this, this, isn't, this isn't something just automatically going to happen. Mar a, a happy marriage, a strong marriage. I'm talking about a happy marriage, not just a, an existence. You're in a prison. You know, financially, you can't divide up because, you know, I'm, I'm talking about one that you really love. I'm talking about spending your days with the person on the earth that if you had to pick out of all the ones to spend your days with, it would be her. It would be him. Hers, hers are quality time and acts of service. I can just know if she's had a rough day, if, if, if things, whatever's been going on, and sometimes I'm the cause. Say stuff I don't need to say, impatient. On and on and on it could be. It won't help one bit for me to go and get her a bouquet of flowers. 
I take that bouquet of flowers home and I give it to her and her response can be, how much did that cost? How much? And I'm thinking it's saying I love you. I'm thinking it's it's a good, but it's not her language. But here's the deal. If I walk in the kitchen at our house and there's a stack full of dirty dishes in the sink, and without asking permission, without announcing, I just go and roll my sleeves up. I may break three or four of them in the process. But I'm, I'm getting after that act of service. It's something that she will notice. It's something that matters to her. Get through with that, and then I go and find that manly tool in the house called a vacuum cleaner. And crank that thing up and run that over the floors. And I tell you, you sow, you sow in that love language, and you'll receive your love language back. But folks, if we're never sowing that way, if we're never sowing into each other in the ways that really count, you say, well, I, I can't do that. You, then you never should have gotten married. You, you just stay single. Don't, don't, don't ever. If you want to stay the same way you've always been, don't ever get married. Iron sharpens iron, do I have a witness. And so does one person sharpen another in the kingdom. But he will, use, he will give you the ability to learn how to love each other. You find yourself, you know, she, the quality time, quality time. That, that can mean sitting on a couch next to each other. Not even real close, but we're sitting in the same room and we're not doing our phones. We have to watch that, not doing our phones. But it's this HDTV XQYZ where they're renovating and remodeling the world 40 times over. She's watching that. And in the back of my mind, my old fallen soul, I can think there's a football game or there's a basketball game or there's a hunting show. But because I know it matters to her and I am wanting to love her, I'm wanting her to hear it and feel it. Then I'll, I'll sit there. And, and the crazy thing is, the crazy thing, I don't want to say this too loud. because I don't want her necessarily to hear it. I've actually learned to enjoy some of those things. But you know why? It's not that those things in and of themselves are so great. It's just that I can sense the joy in her that she, we're doing it together. And that I would make the choice to not go here, but to be there. So after these 44 years or so of marriage, I'm just telling you, it's still a work in progress. After I've gotten through saying all these things about how we've figured it out, we're liable to have the biggest cat fight we've had in decades. Just that, you know. But we'll get through it. Because if I had to pick one human on the face of the earth, I want to spend my life with it. Stop. It's not supposed to dry up. It's not supposed to shrivel up. It's supposed to be growing. And there are going to be some weeds that will come up in the process, have to deal with the weeds, but it's supposed to be alive and growing. The harvest you want comes from the seeds you plant. The harvest you want comes from the seeds you plant. Luke 6, 38 2 Corinthians 9. Lord, would you please take this where this needs to go today? 
Would you let ones who are supposed to hear it, hear it? Would our hearts be wide open to the profitability, the life that is in your word by your spirit? Thank you, Lord. May this be a year of the harvest that we desire, that we long for, because you have blessed the seeds that we've planted. Realizing that the harvest is a result, the seeds are a choice. The seeds are a choice. Help us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. And all the Lord's people said, amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being a part with us this day. If there's a prayer request that you have, would you give us just enough to know how to pray with you? Pastor Walker at alamocity.org. Many, many, many coming in from all over the place. A wonderful, godly team of intercessors that are praying over those requests as they come in. We love hearing from you and being able to be a part with you in the victory that the Lord's bringing. Amen. God bless you. God bless you. Thank you.